0: Welcome to the podcast at Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. This morning, we talked a lot about the rapture, and you know, I share with people, very seldom is anybody saved the very first time they hear the gospel, the very first time, sometimes it happens. And it's the same with if you've been raised to believe something with all of your heart, like I mentioned this morning, you know, I was, I was raised thinking my mom was the greatest cook in the world, you know, and I found out differently when I moved away from home. It took some time, it took years, I found out, you know, I said, Any, anybody can make better meatloaf than my mom and I didn't know it until I moved away from home. But I found that out. A little investigation. And there's, there's, I know there are people that, you know, they've been raised to believe one certain thing about the way the Lord's going to come back. And that's all they've ever been taught. And for them to just accept something new. Oh, well, I hadn't thought about it that way before. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's not easy. That's not easy. And I understand that. That's why I say it takes investigation. It takes time. But I say, don't just say, no, I, I'm just not going to believe, i just, just wrong, I don't care what he says, I don't care what the scripture, I, I don't care. And he just painted that down, no, investigate yourself. And then let the Holy Spirit deal with you. And if you're still settling on that, it's fine. You know, I'm not here to just necessarily change anybody's mind. I'm here to share what I believe to be the absolute truth. Because I've investigated the matter. I was raised one way. But I was always questioning. Always questioning. And I'll tell you, I had some pastors that I was growing up with and some that I traveled with, you know, doing music for them while they were doing revivals. And I'd ask questions. And I'd say, how come this? And they'd say, that's just the way it is. I'd say, no. Now, I respected them. But I didn't accept that. And I said, well, that's just what the Word of God says. Sometimes I say, I just... I, that's not the way I read it. You know, as I'm, and, and I respected them, and I let them just, but they weren't giving me solid answers. And I started looking and hunting for myself, and I encourage you to do the same thing before you just write something off. Investigate the truth. Bill was telling uh, his girlfriend Janice about the, the speed reading course he had just taken, and he proudly announced, Janice, I was able to read War and Peace in 20 minutes. Wow, Bill, that's that's amazing. That's a really thick book, you know. What's it about again? And he says, I'm pretty sure it had something to do with Russia. (laughs) I'll ask church members sometimes on Sunday morning, you know, between Sunday school and church. I say, hey, what was your Sunday school lesson about this morning? And, of course, you know what I get most of the time? Jesus. You know, they're being cute, you know, doing that, giving me that straight. But you know, know what they're really doing? They're stalling. They're stalling for time trying to remember, you know, what was it? Oh, oh, yeah. I and mean, then they'll tell me, you know, but in their mind, I see do, 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 do. Psalm 23, David. <laughs> we talked about that this morning. That was a good lesson. You did a fantastic job. She's very, Marilyn's very at home in the Word of God. First of all, as I said this morning, the Apostle Paul begins 1 Thessalonians 4 with these words. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant, misinformed. That's a good way to start. In fact, he starts two different passages out that way. I mean, as I shared this morning, for any adult who's been a Christian for at least a few years and yet remains ignorant, overall ignorant about the truth of this book, that's not only uh, sad, a tragedy, but that's a sin. You understand that? Yet at this very moment, as I said, there's a large amount of misinformation being openly taught and accepted among Christians concerning the most climactic event that still remains in human history. And that is the imminent return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Now tonight at the beginning, I'm just touching base a little bit about what we talked this morning because there's a lot of people that weren't here this morning. And you might be able to be here the rest of the week and you need to have this. So just for a few minutes, we're just going to hit those high points again. Uh, the, the Apostle Peter, he warned us about false t- teachers in 2 Peter 2. He says, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Many will follow their shameful ways. They'll bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these false teachers will exploit you with t- with, with stories they have made up. Now, I'm always having to be careful. And uh, I read Jenkins and LaHaye's uh, uh Left Behind series, many of you did too, and you want to know something? A lot of people came to Christ, you know, reading those books, looking at them. I mean, they were scared into getting saved, and that's good. But at what cost? I mean, there was there was some some good stuff that was shared, but at the same time, they they admit they said we made up the story to go along with what we think the Scripture teaches. But they made up the story. They took license. Just like when you go see a movie that's been made, a Bible movie that's been made in Hollywood, they take a great deal of license sometimes. You know, I'm thinking of that Noah movie that came out a few years ago. Oh, my yeah. goodness. You know, I went to it right away, Nancy and I, and we both went. came back and said, don't go see that. Do not go support that. That is just so wrong. You know, now Jenkins and LaHaye, uh, they made a lot of money. I mean millions upon millions of dollars. But like I said, many were probably saved, but at what cost with the overall message behind, and I know the scripture that they used, and I'm going to talk about that later this week. I know the one primary scripture that they used to try to, as, as I've heard many use it, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, and you can write that down and you can go look at it. This is a scripture that a lot of uh, people look at and say, you know, God has not appointed us under wrath. Right. You and I as children of God, we don't have to endure the wrath of God whenever we stand before him in judgment, whether we die on this earth or whether he comes and takes us back. We don't have to worry about the wrath of God. It's the wrath of Satan that we're going to endure, okay? He's talking about the wrath of God. And yes, we don't have to endure the wrath of God, but there's a difference. People have a problem with the wrath of God or the wrath of Satan. They're two totally different things, and that's where things got twisted. So there are so many teachers, preachers, authors being taking isolated passages out of context and making them to appear to say what they were never intended to say. And tragically, too few Christians are armed with enough biblical knowledge to recognize fact from fiction. The fiction is fun. Uh, it's interesting but ultimately misleading for those who don't check it out further for themselves. The dark side holds, holds a lure. I mean, I remember whenever we used to travel the Champions for Christ, we have a couple former champions here with us tonight. When we travel and I'd say, okay guys, for tonight's skit, uh, we need uh, 10 demons and we need 10 angels. And I'd have 20 hands, I'll be a demon? Everybody wanted to be the demons, why? It was more fun. We get to hiss, you know, and dance around and scare people and and have more fun where the angels were more holy, you know, and all that. That's our dark side. We're interested in things like that, you know. So some people capitalize on So millions of Christians, particularly American Christians, are going to be caught off guard at the manner of the Lord's return to earth in the same way the nation of Israel was caught off guard by his first arrival in Bethlehem. They thought they were expecting one thing and got something else, even though the scripture told them who was coming and how he was coming and where he was coming and how humble he was going to be. And, and, you know, he was going to be a servant, not a conquering warrior in the sense that they were looking for. Yes, he is the king of kings. But Jesus says, listen, my kingdom's not of this world. And Paul says, we don't fight with the weapons of the world. This is not how Christians uh, fight, okay, Matthew 24, and this is the main passage. This is the main passage that people have misconstrued. We looked at it this morning. just want to touch it again real quick. just re-emphasize. Jesus said in verse 36 through 44, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And here it is. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, just like they are today. Up to the day, Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until what? The flood came and took them all away. Jesus' words, took them all away. In other words, there's there's normal life going on, but they are taken away. And he says, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handle. One will be taken, the other left. He doesn't change gears in the middle of the story. But a lot of people have taken just that passage right there. This is how it's going to be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill, One will be taken, the other left. And they'll say, this shows that the Lord is going to come and take us out of here, and you don't want to be left behind. But if you take it in context and you read the whole passage, everything that Jesus said, do you see how Satan has misconstrued that in people's minds? And it's been used to teach error. Lifting something out of context, you can make it say what you want to say. You read it in context. It's so dangerous to not do that. And we reaffirm that in Matthew 13 with the parable of the wheat and the tares. We backed it up in Matthew chapter 13. And also in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. The Lord, when he comes... He pulls out, he pulls out the wheat or the tares, the weeds first, pulls them out first, he says. Mm -hmm. The sheep, the goats, they're separated. They're going to be all, and every time the Lord, the judgment comes, all the people, all the people, all the people, all the the nations are set before the throne on that day. He comes, he settles matters, wipes away the the old heaven and the earth, the new heaven and the earth begins. You know, that's, uh, you look at the scripture, you see it again and again and again. Therefore, he says, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In fact, seven times in scriptures, New Testament believers are encouraged to be ready, be on guard, for the Lord's going to come unexpectedly like a thief. He's going to come. You don't know when he's coming. He says, in fact, if if the man of the house knew when the thief was coming, he'd be ready. He'd stay home and he'd be ready. But so many people are going to get caught off guard, just like they did. Noah preaching, he's building an ark in the desert. You know, he's, he's giving them warning. And the ark is a symbol of salvation for all who will believe, for all who will come in the door. But whenever the, the, the judgment came, when the flood came, it was over. The door was shut. No more opportunities. They had no more opportunity. Those that were left behind. Did not dog paddle for seven more years. Like we're being trying to be taught in the, in the New Testament. Oh yeah, there, there's going to be some left behind they're going to have seven more years. No! He gave us a picture in the Old Testament. Just like he gave us a picture in, in we said, in, in uh, Judges 6. You know, whenever, whenever uh, um, Gideon had, had his 300 against 135,000. Remember what happened? What was the, convention, the unconventional battle plan? Blow trumpets and then shout, and the power of God descends, and it's over. Joshua, what's the battle plan to take Jericho? March around the city, March around the city blow the trumpets, shout. The walls come down, it's over. The battle is won. There's not, there's not, there was nothing secret. Everything was pretty loud, pretty noisy, and it was done, it was done. A secret rapture is an American idea put forth by a disgruntled minister, and you have your papers there, in the late 1800s named John Nelson Darby. He could not find another preacher that would go along with him and his ideas. There were a lot of reasons he came up with this idea, but no preachers of that day. I mean, Jonathan Edwards was before that. He didn't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Charles Spurgeon didn't believe in it. George Whitfield. I go on on more and more <coughs> preachers that day. They didn't believe in what he was saying. But finally, he gained the ear of Iris Schofield. How many of you heard of the Schofield Bible? Schofield Study Bible. He finally gained Schofield's ear, who included his teachings in his study notes, in his study Bible, as an option. And they were then put into that study Bible, which went into every American seminary between 1909 and 1917, and were taught for years. The idea of a... Secret rapture where the Lord is going to come and take out these believers. And so, you know where the teaching came? It came in the back door of the church where the preachers came. And it was propagated for years and for years. And there are still many people in churches today that believe that. And even some younger preachers that have studied and they've learned the truth. and all They are afraid to teach the truth because they may upset some of their congregation who vote many times with their pocketbooks. Now, as an evangelist, I've learned to say what needs to be said whenever I travel. Sometimes preachers couldn't say these things, but they were afraid of different congregational members that they might upset. Because I know this one believes this and this one believes that. And it could be about any topic. But this was one of the topics they wouldn't dare talk about because it might upset certain congregation members. So there are too few preachers prepared to tackle this deadly teaching head on. Hosea 4.6. Hosea 4.6. Listen, this is bone-chilling. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed from what? Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge of the word of God. Because you have rejected knowledge, the Lord says, I also will reject you as my priests. Did you know that as a child of God, you are listed as a priest? <laughs> you, it's called the priesthood of the believer. You and I can go to the heavenly father at any time. We don't have to go through another man you know, who calls himself a priest. We have access to... To the Father, 24-7. When Jesus uh, died on the cross, remember the temple curtain between the Holy of Holies was split from top to bottom, <laughs> 70 feet, and it was thick. Showed we have access to the Father. No human could have ripped that. But that was Showed we have access to him any time of the day or night. As a child of God, you have access to your Heavenly Father, the King of Kings. He says, because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of God, I will also ignore your children. You heard me say this morning how Satan has attacked the home? How he's attacked the home? Because he knows that is where the word of God is supposed to be spread. That is where the word of God is really supposed to be taught. Yes, we teach it at the church. But if you come, say you're a Sunday morning only person. That might be the only, the only spiritual meal you ever get. It's not enough, and maybe you're Sunday morning, maybe you're Sunday night, a lot of churches don't meet on Sunday night anymore, they don't, Sunday morning only, and then maybe Wednesday night or one other night of the week, maybe, some don't do that, they meet Sunday morning, that's it, they don't get enough teaching, and if they're not actively being taught in the home, and the majority of children are not anymore, the Word of God, I shared with you about that this morning. Jesus made it clear in the parable of the wheat and the tares and the weeds that he would be returning to harvest both believers and unbelievers at the what? End of the age. End of the age. The same words he used when He's giving his followers the Great Commission. He would be with us till the end of the age. As a believer, you receive the Holy Spirit. He has come into your life. He gives you power because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. To be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. You'll receive power. That's what the Holy Spirit does, us, does. God is the creator. Jesus is the savior. The Holy Spirit is the power. That's the trinity. That's the power of the trinity. It says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Not to some secret time when I'll pull you guys out and everybody's going to look around and go, where'd everybody go? Where'd all these Christians go? Why is that plane falling from the sky? Why are there wrecks on the high? That's, an, that's usually an ice storm It causes things like that, okay? And then after a time, there'll be another end of the age. No, there's nowhere in this book mentioning a secret rapture. So, you know, I just wanted to touch base about that again. In fact, it says, whenever the Lord returns, highly visible. Every eye's going to see him in. Noisy, shouts, trumpets, we, we talked about it. I gave you the scriptures this morning, Matthew 24, Acts 111, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Revelation 1.7, all basically say the same thing, every eye will see him, he's going to return with a, visibly, physically, as, they, as the angels told him, a of Galilee, why stand you here looking up into the sky, you see the same Jesus the way he's going, he's going to come back in the same way, the, the way you see him leaving. Revelation 1 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the peoples of the earth are going to mourn because of him. The majority of people are not going to be saved. They're not going to be ready. They have chosen to live their own lifestyle. Christians, Christianity, this book is in their way. It's in their way. That's why we are hated. Jesus said, Every every nation hate will hate you because of me. But he says, Don't worry, they hated me first. They will hate you because you are mine. Because we represent the truth. And it's not like we're standing there looking at them going, you're going to hell. You know that? We're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're just we're just uh, an inconvenient truth. <laughs> That's using the word properly. That flares properly. We represent the truth, and they can't stand it. So when the Lord returns, the scripture says, Trumpet of God's gonna sound. There'll be a cry of the archangel. Then the Lord's going to descend in power. The, the battle that begun in Eden is going to be over. Paradise lost. Paradise restored. Again, for those who are going to say, I just have a problem with this. I just don't think the Lord's going to allow us to, to suffer on this earth. I just can't see that. And I'm looking at all the disciples and what happened to them. Where does it begin? I'm looking at all the people in these other countries that we read about this morning, Freedom House, that reports 150 to 160, 165,000 Christians being martyred and murdered every single year, everywhere else in the world. Today. Pardon? Today, today, in the last several years, that's been the numbers. Uh, listen, the Lord hasn't trained his army to pull him out of the fight. I will be with you always to the end of the age. He prayed, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Lord, I don't want you to take them out of the world. Just protect them from the evil one. The Lord will supernaturally protect you until your job is through, until he is through with you, just like he did his son. Okay, that's enough review, and I'll catch up anyone further who wants to stay and visit afterwards. And I encourage you, when we go back there in a little while, stick around, visit, all right? And we'll talk. Brother Rick, I just have a real problem with this. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Stick around. I had several come up to me this morning going, hey, I I got that, I got that, I like that. Don't hesitate. Hebrews 9. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 26. says, but now he, Christ is speaking of, has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages. Remember the sacrificial system in the Old Testament? How they, you know, they had the altar and it was a bloody altar and animals had to die and it was continual, 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 bloody, bloody mess all the time. And it was just a picture of what was to come. So much in the Old Testament was a picture of what was to come in Christ. But now he, Christ, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, once again, this period of time between when he was crucified, uh, rose again, ascended, the end of the ages till he comes back to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin again, he's already done that, but to bring salvation or redemption to those who are waiting for him, to those who are waiting. That's included, those who have passed away already, those who are still alive, breathing. You know, he's going to provide redemption of our bodies, of our souls forever. Hallelujah. Now listen, the Bible says the wages of sin is we have to die. Okay? Some of us are pretty close to it. I feel like it sometimes when I get up in the morning. You know, ibuprofen is my friend at night. You know, and many of you too. You know, whenever Heather came in tonight, I could tell. There she is going, mm, what's wrong, girl? You know, she's taking pain pills. And she's not even, what, 30 yet. You know? <laughs> Boy, I'm sorry for you, girl. You're already feeling this way. It's, I wish I could say it's going to get better. <laughs> you know? Hey, but that's what we have to deal with. The wages of sin is death. Even believers have to die because we're all sinners. But praise God. Jesus paid for our sin, debt, and then on top of that, he, he rose again. So even though we got to die, he's taking care of the dead thing too. Because we will be redeemed, our bodies redeemed. And not only our bodies, but this world will be redeemed as well. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to switch now and look at what the Bible has to say about the judgment of the living and the dead. Now some claim there will be several different judgments. Oh, there's going to be this judgment, and that judgment, and this judgment. And some believe that only the lost unbelievers are going to appear at the great white throne judgment. You got to look at it carefully. You got to read in context. Yeah, the, the great white throne judgment appears in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Now we've already observed many scriptures that clearly indicate all the dead are going to be raised together to be judged with the living and I've encouraged you to read those passages carefully and you have them on those seats you should have them especially if you had one from this morning you may have some from tonight to so look at those very carefully all nations are going to stand before him before the throne the Baptist faith and message some of you have studied that if you've been in Baptist churches for years it, it claims though it doesn't claim to be scripture itself it, it teaches what scriptures teach God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. Perfectly. I wouldn't want to be an earthly judge. Trying to determine, I'm listening to this side, I'm listening to that side. Well, what they have to say sounds really good until this side presents its case. It even says in Proverbs, the one who speaks first always sounds right. Until you hear the rebuttal. That's that way with our children too, isn't it? Mom, you know what Johnny did? Oh my goodness, if it was up to me, Johnny would be whipped right now. But then Johnny comes and shares his side you're going, hmm, I wouldn't want to be a judge. I wouldn't want to be, though we are called to be all the time. It says the Lord will judge righteously. He sees all sides of the matter. We don't have to worry about it. He knows the truth. In fact, it's all recorded in the books, which we're going to talk about. So, he will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous, in their resurrected and glorified bodies, is going to receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. That's the Baptist faith and message. Again, now that's the opinions of men taken from Scripture, but compare this with what Jesus said in John 5, beginning in verse 24. Very truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, and come out. Remember this morning I said, you know, I passed the cemetery and the sun was coming up and I noticed almost all the graves are facing the east. You know, they're facing, and, and many a Christian in, Christian, in America, that's how a lot of cemeteries are. They're, they're facing the east in anticipation of the return of the Lord. All who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Now, I'm not fooling myself into thinking that every single one of those that are facing the east are Christians. Billy Graham, who just recently passed, he was he said many times, he firmly believes that up to 50% of church members, people on church rolls are lost. And he would point to the scriptures and say, by their fruit, you will know them. There are many wolves in sheep's clothing within the, in the flock. He says, it's by their fruit, you will know them, by their actions. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. All are going to be raised. Not everybody believes that. They think it's just going to be Christians bursting out of their graves. You know. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things while done while in the body, whether good or bad. Those things done while in the body, that refers to our works. Our works of righteousness, those works are listed within the books that will be opened at the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. There's no arguing with what's recorded in the books. Now, the Lord seems to indicate, someone will say, but Lord, I did this, I did that for you. I, I cast out demons, you know, I did this, I, I, I've served you. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you at one time, but now I don't. He says, I never knew you. These people were probably very comfortable within the church. They came to the church, oh, the devil's very comfortable in most churches. There are many people that come, they like what they hear, they, they enjoy the fellowship, they enjoy the meals. You know, they enjoy the music, they love that, but they haven't committed their lives to Christ. And it shows in what they do out there. Okay? Our words matter. Jesus said, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. See, our words matter. Uh, the believer, our recorded works are going to determine our rewards or lack of them. Our, our, our works are also listed in those books. But they're not going to judge us for where we spend eternity, but they're going to judge us for the lack of rewards or the, the number of rewards we get. And the Lord made that clear in the parable of the talents. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You, you've been faithful with the little bit I've given you. I've got much more for you to do. Enter into your master's happiness. Enter into your reward. There are going to be limit, you know, different levels of reward according to what we did. That's well taught in scripture. Matthew 25, 31-33. When the Son of Man comes in all his glory, all the angels with him, he's going to sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the sheep from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then they, meaning the goats or those who rejected Christ, will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. You see how he always, always seems to deal with the, the wicked first and then. Now that's taken care of. Remember at the Last Supper, the Lord is getting ready to introduce the holy, sacred moment of the Last Supper. The Communion, whatever you want to call it. The Eucharist, whatever you want to call that. But he's got to take care of a matter first. He calls Judas up. He doesn't want to have anything evil Nothing evil present at this most holy moment. He's going to give Judas one more chance. He dips that bread in there, and as an act of friendship, he offers it to Judas. And you're reading that passage, and you're looking, and I I can almost picture, I use my imagination, you know. and Judas is looking at him, they've locked eyes one more time, and he's offering that to Judas. One last chance to do the right thing. But Judas has already made up his mind, like many of us have about certain things. We make up our minds ahead of time about stuff. Judas has already made up his mind, but he's looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ. He has seen so many incredible things these last three and a half years, but he's also heard the clink, 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 clink of that silver, and he's hoping to force Jesus' hand. I just think I'm going to justify this by saying if Jesus, if they come to arrest Jesus, maybe he'll show his power, and he'll take force by force he'll he'll become the savior that we want him to become whatever however he's rationalizing it but he's just not going to do it so for that moment Jesus has given him the opportunity and then it says at that moment Satan entered into him he made up his mind he wasn't going to go the way the Lord would have him to go he says no and it says at that moment Satan entered into him and he says all right whatever you're about to do go do it quickly Get out of here. In other words, get, <laughs> you know. Now the disciples might have thought, where's he going? I guess he's going to the quick stop to get some more lamb jerky. I don't know. <laughs> they don't know. But the Lord wanted him gone. He didn't want anything evil in these next few moments. The Lord doesn't want anything evil or anybody that represents evil. He turned at one time. There were a lot of people that were following him. They want to see another show. They want to see another miracle. And he turned. And finally one day, they were slowing him down. They were wanting his attention all the time. He turned to him and said, listen. If you're not willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my follower. They didn't understand what he was saying because they weren't true followers. People misconstrue what Christians say all the time. They, they didn't know what he was They said, oh, this is a hard teaching. This sounds like a cult. He wants us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. There are some people in here, you probably love football. You, know, you don't have any trouble eating, sleeping, drinking football. You know, maybe you love March Madness. Maybe you have a hobby. Something that you love to do more than anything. And you can eat, drink, and sleep that thing. Jesus saying, eat, drink, and sleep me. If you're not willing to do that, you cannot be my follower. Get. you got to be willing to take up your cross daily and follow. It's not easy. It's not easy to be a, a Christian. So you understand why, why Billy Graham says, I fully believe up to 50% of church members probably aren't really Christians. It begins to make more sense. Comparing Scripture with Scripture, what is common denominator concerning Christ's judgment of mankind? All these scriptures, all, everyone, each of us, all the nations are going to be gathered before the throne. All of us on that great day of the Lord, on that day of judgment. Now watch this sequence of scriptures real careful. Matthew 24, 31, He will send out His angels with a loud Trumpet blast, and they will call, gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two. in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, 1 Thessalonians four sixteen. for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, Revelation 11, 15 and 18. Now here's one you don't hear all the time. The seventh angel. How many angels were there sounding trumpets? Seven. Here's the seventh. He's sounding his trumpet. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, the last trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. Christ is now reigning. The nations were angry. They hate Christians. They're ready to fight against Christianity. And your wrath, Lord, has come. The time has come for judging the dead, And for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, the dead, physically dead, that are being raised, all. And so rewarding your servants, the prophets, your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. You see, he he covers everything. He covers everybody there. As I pointed out. You see another common denominator concerning the arrival of judgment through the scriptures, the trumpet call. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I'm getting there. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for him. This is a fallen world. You know that I tell myself that every time something goes wrong. I'm going, it's a fallen world. It's a fallen, messed up world. You know, it helps me keep my sanity to remember. You know, uh, sometimes things go wrong. It's, you're going. How much more? How much more? I mean, today's just not. It's Monday. It's raining. You know, and oh, it just doesn't look. Like it's, gonna, it's a fallen world. It's a fallen world. This marks the end of the old fallen universe. Hallelujah. Making way for the new heaven and the new earth. He says, because the earth and the sky fled from his presence. No more room for him. Evil cannot stand in the face of absolute holiness. Holy God. Peter prophesied in 2 Peter 3:10. But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Fire is the purifying agent. I even remember when we were in college, you know, and we're studying these things, and and one of my friends went, "Wow, isn't that a nice car? Look at that!" It's all going to burn. "Isn't Isn't that a great looking building, man? It's a great restaurant. It's going to burn. You know, we joke about that. We just take turns. That's oh, going to burn. Don't get too attached to it. You know, it's going to burn. We knew what we were saying. All the creation has been waiting for this day when it's coming. Romans 8, 19 through 22 says this. The creation waits. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God, those of you who know Christ, to be revealed or redeemed for that day to come. For the creation itself was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it remember god cursed the earth no longer because of your sin no longer is it just going to produce everything you're going to have to work for it by the sweat of your brow oh ladies you're going to be suffering childbirth pain you know there's a lot of things that's going to be going on your teeth are going to hurt girl you know our eyesight's going to dim our hair is going to fall out our joints are going to have to be replaced. You see what I'm saying? The whole world was cursed and the earth is in hope that the creation itself is going to be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We will be redeemed. We will receive new bodies and this old earth will pass away and it will be redeemed. A new heaven and a new earth. He says we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And what about childbirth pains? What what happens quicker, 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 quicker? You know, until it finally happens. Everywhere you look, I've talked to several of you today, you don't even like to watch the news anymore. It's a mess. There's no good news. It's, It's a mess. I remember when Nancy was having our first child, we'd gone through those Lamaze classes, you know, and we had books, and I would had to go eight weeks with her, you know, to a different town and, and do all this stuff. And, <laughs> you know, doing all that stuff. And sure enough, about one o'clock in the morning, she decides to go into labor on May 25th, 1984. So I get out my book. And I said, all right. And I'm sitting there ready. First childbirth pain comes. I write it down. Start the timing. I go. <laughs> <laughs> then she's saying, here comes another. I'm going, what? Five minutes, okay. Another, huh? Three minutes, and another. One. You're not doing this right. <laughs> you know. She delivered both of our girls in less than three hours. You know, I said it was. I, I complimented her. I said, "It's because you're so sinless, Nancy. That you're so sinless. You didn't have to endure as much childbirth pain as most." That kind of made up for the way I was treating her while I was driving her to the hospital in the middle of the night. <laughs> I think I better get back on her right You're so sinless, honey. <laughs> you might try that, some of you younger men. <laughs> so the old fallen world is gone at the scene of the white throne. And, and then he says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Your name better be in that book. Also, that book is, Jesus talks about that book in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades, the place of the dead, I've looked that up many times, gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, death and Hades are very often referred to as two evil twins to swallow up all of humanity eventually, even believers. It's our lot because, as I said, we're all sinners. But after death and hell are relieved of their corpses, they are themselves destroyed. Due to the fact that our Lord was the first to conquer death, Paul had foreseen the ultimate devise of death itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. It shall be no more it shall be no more. The lake of fire is the second death. We often talk about eternal life. We love to hear about eternal life. Oh, tell me some good news. Pastor, Let me tell me about the love of God. Tell me about eternal life. But see, the wrath of God, the other side of the coin, that's also part of God's love. For an absolute righteous and holy God to exist, there has to be hatred of sin. For every heaven, there has to be hell. There has to be a deterrent. So many people argue against the death penalty when the Lord himself says, if you take a life made in the image of God by men, you shall have your own life forfeit. It serves as a deterrent. Now I hear more and more people say, well, I don't think hell is really real. I mean, God is so loving, you know, and they're teaching, well, there might be hell for a little while, but then after a while the Lord himself will show mercy and he'll, lights out. Doesn't that sound nice? It's called annihilationism. You know, fancy term. I have another fancy term. Baloney. What does it say? Eternal. Eternal punishment. Where the worm never dies. Where the fire never goes out. And as we see in many places in the scripture, the wicked are dealt with before describing the destiny of the righteous. In the next scene, here we go. John 21. 1 through 5. I love it. I've memorized it, but I'm going to read it here. See, because God's not only going to redeem our bodies, he's redeeming the earth. Paradise that was lost, paradise restored. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. What does the sea do? It divides. Divides nations. Divides countries. It's a buffer. It's just no more division. There's no more division, that's symbolic, no more division. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. What is the church referred to in the New Testament as? The bride, the bride of Christ. <laughs> Even in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was looked at as the bride of God, the unfaithful bride of God, whenever they passed whenever Jesus came, God in the flesh personally to them to make one more appeal in the New Testament and they rejected him, then it was whosoever will. Whosoever will. No longer any male, female, free, slave, Jew, Gentile, whosoever will may come. That beautiful bride dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will live with them and be their God. Even in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve didn't get to see God physically. They could commune with him, but he was spirit. Jesus himself says God is spirit, but Jesus is God in the flesh. He told his disciples, whenever whenever Thomas told him at the Lord's Supper, he says, hey, just show us the Father. Just show us the Father, Jesus, and and will that be enough for us? And I love this. Jesus looked at him, and I imagine he got right up in Thomas' face. And he says, don't you recognize me? Can you see Thomas looking at him going, it's you. You are God. Remember, Thomas even said whenever he saw the nail prints, the side, the feet, he says, my Lord and my God had it reaffirmed one more time. Do you not recognize me? When you see me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. One. Jesus will live with us personally in the flesh. You say, I want to spend some time with him, but I don't want to have to stand in line. I hate standing in lines. I hate standing in line at Walmart. You know, I hate standing in line anywhere. You, know, you won't have to stand in line to wait to see Jesus. You can go to him any hour of the day or night. His time's not going to be a diff- an issue in heaven. I'll be glad to talk with you about that too. You can go see him at any time. Put your arms around him. Let him sneak up behind you and put his arms around you. He'll be with you in the flesh. And he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. You've shed a lot of tears in your life. And you may have some more to shed. There'll be no more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. No more teeth aches, No more <laughs> body aches. No more mortgages, no more, no more debt of any kind, <laughs> hallelujah. There'll be no more of any of those things for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said to John, who's right, he says, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Remember when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. And I love this. If it were not so, I would have told you. He doesn't lie. He says again here, I am, he says, write these things down for these words are trustworthy and true. I am not lying to you. Consistent descriptions given within the scriptures indicate that whenever you hear end time judgment, it's referring to this great white throne. Now, just to set up tomorrow night, those who struggle with or believe in a literal thousand-year period or a millennial reign of Christ on earth, often claim that the white throne judgment is a later judgment and that only the unbelieving dead are judged there. And if that were so, even if that were so, then both judgments end identically and the wicked are cast into everlasting fire. Again, I encourage a careful reading of the scriptures. And that we use the minds God has given us along with his Holy Spirit to comprehend our Lord's righteous nature. There may be just certain places that you've read. Maybe you've stayed out of Leviticus. <laughs> you know, Maybe there's certain passages that you think, I don't know. I'll be honest, I haven't really studied this much or this, this passage here. Nancy and I have been married going on 37 years. In those 37 years, I have developed a good understanding of her nature living with her because see, there are some people who will say, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about this topic or that topic, and I really don't know how God feels about this certain thing or that. I mean, really, should we make a judgment on that or not? You know, if you've read the book, you know the nature of the God that you serve. If you've spent time getting to know him, like I have Nancy, somebody can bring up a certain topic, and they say, what, what, what do you think Nancy would think about that? I know exactly what she'd think about it. I've known this woman for 37 well, almost 39 years I've known her. I know exactly how she, you want to tell you what she'd probably say? You know, you might say, well, this topic's not talked about, or that topic. I don't know what, how God feels. If you know God, if you know the nature of the author of this book, you're going to know exactly how he feels about this. There's no gray area about what's right, what's wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. You've got to know the book. And then you know because Jesus Christ is the Word. They were astonished when they listened to Jesus. They said, he doesn't talk like other people. He talks to someone with authority. What's the root word of authority? Author. author. He is the author of the book. Get to know the author. Tomorrow evening, we're going to be looking at a couple more topics, including the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, it's referred briefly to in, in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. And to prepare you for that topic, you've got to ask yourself a few questions. Just real quick. Uh, look at the scriptures we've been reading. Compare them again and again and again. What do they say? When, when Christ returns, does it say he's going to judge the living and the dead? Uh, cast the wicked into hell? Rewards the righteous? Uh, recreates a new heaven and a new earth and eternity begins? Or, is what we look at, what we've been looking at very clearly again and again, The scriptures indicate he judges the living and the dead. He casts the wicked into a temporary place of judgment, sets up an earthly kingdom that lasts for a literal thousand years. Satan is literally bound in a pit. The world enjoys peace for that thousand years. Satan is released to deceive the whole world all over again. The world again rebels against Christ's leadership. Christ again settles the matter of evil. He judges the living and the dead, casts the wicked into hell, rewards the righteous, recreates a new heaven and earth, and eternity begins. Now, I'll admit, if that second option is God's ultimate plan, I'll go along with it because he's God and I'm not. But it somehow seems redundant to me. And it <laughs> confuses me. It wears me out. It seems inconsistent with the rest of scripture. I, encu- I enc- encourage you, think about it, pray about it, read about it, and meet here again tomorrow night, same time and same place. Lord <coughs> you know, I've been living in Oklahoma for 40 years. So as we wrap this up here, uh, I, we live within what's called the Chickasaw Nation. we got the Choctaws, Chickasaws, Cherokee. You know, we got all the different. We live in the Chickasaw Nation. One of the largest, most wealthy, most powerful of the nations. And Bill Anitubby, Governor Bill Anitubby, has been the governor of the Chickasaws for years. And whenever, shortly after he became governor of the Chickasaws, the people came to him that first autumn and they asked if... Brother, brother, Bill Anitubee, Governor, is, is this going to be a rough winter or not? He's an Indian, you know. He's supposed to know. So, not having a clue, Governor Anitubee did as any real leader is going to do. He, the chief governor of the Chickasaws, told his people, "Yeah, I think it's going to be a cold winter, and you better start gathering wood for your stoves." Then he went to the nearest phone and he called the National Weather Service. <laughs> he asked if it's going to be a cold winter. He's praying, got his fingers crossed. The man on the phone responded, yeah, Governor, it it appears that it's going to be a cold winter indeed. But the Chickasaws kept coming to their leader saying, can you tell us for sure? Is it going to be a cold winter? We really want to know, Mr. Anitubby. So he, he called the weather service again. Are you sure it's going to be a cold winter? The man replied, Governor, it appears that all the forecasts show it's going to be a very cold winter. So Anitubby, he went back to his people. And he told them to gather every scrap of wood they could gather for their fires. Just be absolutely certain. And just, he called again. He called again. Two weeks later, he called the weather service. Please tell me the forecast hasn't changed. Are you absolutely sure this is going to be a very cold winter? The weatherman replied with confidence. Sir, I am growing in confidence that it's going to be a terrible winter. Even the Chickasaws are gathering wood like crazy. And to be honest, between you and me, we look to them to determine our long-range forecast. (laughs) Today, you and I can trust this word to be true. We can trust the Bible is accurate. And listen, the storm is imminent. The Lord said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. We are salt. We are light. He says he will be with us to the end of the age. You and I are here to fight the good fight for the Lord and to stay with that Holy Spirit empowering us to make a difference in every life we come in contact with. The storm is coming. The Lord Jesus is returning to this old earth with a force that will make an F5 tornado and we've seen a lot of them in Oklahoma. That's why we don't have any big old trees in that state. He's going to make an F5 tornado appear as a gentle breeze. And anything and anyone sinful is going to be wiped out from the foundations of the earth. So then, how should we live? And are you prepared? Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.woburnbaptistchurch.org Or you can also like us on Facebook.